Welcome to the Fearless Women Podcast. We're inspiring conversations for the unafraid. I'm Janice McDonald, founder of The Beacon Agency, author, and global champion for women. Why am I making this show? Because I want to share the inspiring stories of women leaders in business, arts and culture, politics, and more with all of you. Hear how they've chosen to go forward and be bold and make the world a better place, even when it wasn't easy to do. Subscribe now wherever you find podcasts. Hey, everybody, I'm Janice McDonald. Welcome to the Fearless Women Podcast. Thank you for tuning in from across Canada and so many other countries like New Zealand, Germany, USA, UK, Australia, and Vietnam, to name a few. It's so great to have all of you joining us. I'm really glad that you love listening to the inspiring guests we feature every single week. These important conversations with the unafraid keep our fearless community growing. So tell your friends and follow us on Instagram. One more thing, if you don't already have a copy, pick up my best-selling book, Fearless, Girls with Dreams, Women with Vision. It's perfect for all the women in your life. So you can all be inspired by the authentic, true stories from women in Canada and elsewhere. The dazzling Dolly Parton once said, if your actions create a legacy that inspires others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, then you are an excellent leader. I think it's a beautiful quote, and I also think it's a perfectly fitting introduction for my next guest. I'm really excited to welcome this powerful voice in Canada, Dr. Suhaya, I know her as Sue, Abu Hakima. She's a Canadian tech entrepreneur and inventor of artificial intelligence apps for wireless communication and security. Since 2007, she's been president and CEO of Amica Mobile, which she co-founded. She has published and presented more than 125 professional papers and holds at least, that I know of, 30 international patents. It's actually 43 now, Janice. (laughs) I knew it was more. 43 international patents in the fields of content analysis, messaging, and security. She has you won't be surprised by this, an Order of Ontario, among her many other awards and recognition. Probably won't surprise you to know as well that she's a mentor to many, a professor, and a strong voice for women in tech. We have so much to talk about. I am so delighted to welcome you to the show, Dr. Sue. Hey, Janice. It's wonderful to hear your voice again. It's very exciting. I'm happy to be on the show. This is great. Lots and lots and lots to talk about. Why don't we jump right in? Let's talk about your current role. You're president and CEO of Amica Mobile. Again, you co-founded that in 2007. You've got an exciting deal you want to talk about. But first, tell us why you love it and really what you're up to over there. So at Amica Mobile, why I love what I do, by the way, is because I am a female tech entrepreneur and there's really not a lot of us. Uh, We stand out like a sore thumb, actually. It's quite funny. But what I love about what I do is that we create something from nothing and then we build software. We go out and find customers. We have them love it. 
And then we essentially are continuously being innovative. And one of the things that's happened to me while I've been on this journey, and I've been a tech entrepreneur now for 20 years, this is my second startup. So two startups, two exits, two for two, as uh, one of my banking people like to remind me. Um, <laughs> And essentially, what I love about it is that not only am I a tech entrepreneur who's a female, but I've also by default had to become an activist for women in tech, because essentially, mm -hmm. there's so many brick ceilings out there, it's just nuts. But I do love this job. And I think this company has been, uh, it's another AI-based company. We've built some incredible technology with panic buttons on mobiles and all sorts of things like that, that are very good for people, but we save lives. So even during COVID, we've had a very resilient business where we've had to deliver emergency communications for people to keep them apprised about what's going on. And even during the quarantine as an essential service, I was coming into the office every day. And, you know, my team was all working remotely, of course, and we were heeding all the uh, regulations. But from my perspective, I think being a woman tech entrepreneur, you have to build resilient businesses because you just don't get funded. It's that simple. Mm -hmm. We know that access to capital is a challenge for women entrepreneurs in Canada and elsewhere. The, uh, the stats are staggering, but to your point, for women in tech, even more so. Let's talk about scaling tech in Canada. You've talked about resiliency and innovation. Uh, what else does it take and what's your pitch so we can attract more women to tech? So my view on this whole thing, and I, I've even told Michael Denham of BDC, he's the president of BDC, this, is I honestly- He was honestly, a guest on our show. He was yeah. uh, on, on <laughs> awesome. Women, yes. So he's a fearless man then. Mm -hmm. um, so it, essentially what I said to him is that I believe there has to be a billion dollars worth of equity financing, not just debt financing available to women. So I do know they've done over a billion dollars in- debt financing for women-owned businesses. But my worry there is a lot of women don't know what they're signing up to. They don't know that, you know, there's personal guarantees attached to these, these loans. And women as a rule, and I, I think, you know, probably all entrepreneurs as a rule don't really like that. And so why is it that my colleagues and my friends that are the CEOs that are the men are getting equity financing and being offered as much as they can take Whereas for 20 years, right, we couldn't get mm -hmm. it. And when we were close after the first exit, so we did the um, first company was on compliance and we exited it to Entrust, which is another NASDAQ uh, company. This one mm -hmm. is to Genesis, which is another NASDAQ company. And these are big deals. Like these are, these yeah. are big <laughs> deals, no matter exactly. what your gender. <laughs> yeah. So both of these companies are, you know, headquarters, uh, okay, in the US, but they have a very strong Canadian presence. And, you know, I, I kid you not, Janice, I was looking at some of the information yesterday. There's been like a, a, a hornet's nest around us in terms of people wanting to, wanting us to exit in the last few years. And we've had, uh, we've had a number of suitors, let's call them. Uh, and certainly even in January of this year, when we started talking to Genesis, we already had six other approaches going on. So we picked them because we felt they were the best and the strongest in terms of really being a good corporate citizen for Canada and helping us create a great company here. But one of the things that I also wanted to go back to is that 
as a woman entrepreneur who exited successfully the first time, you would think that the, and the first time I went to a venture capitalist and I said, hey, I want to build this AI company. And that was back in 1999. And everybody said to me, well, what's AI and who's going to ever want anything to do with it? <laughs> Which is insane if you think about it, because yeah. Google started in 1998. Just think of what kind of company we would have today if we got supported right from the get-go. All right, so we exited that one because essentially you can't scale it up without backing. Mm-hmm. And so you, you, know, you do what your shareholders and your investors want to do. And we've always had uh, angel investments and very good support from some of the Government of Canada programs that helped us build the companies regardless, right, without venture capital. The second company comes around in 2008. We go to the venture capitalists again and say, hey, you know, we've exited the first time successfully. We want to do this one. It's around security and emergency communications and saving people's lives. And what happened to us is really astounding is instead of funding us, they used our pitch to vet other companies that were competing with us. And so there was another Canadian company, I'm not going to name names, that they essentially turned around and gave them the $5 million. Wow. And so that's back in 08. And so <laughs> we continued along. And then once in a while, we'd get approaches from people at BDC or other places, other venture capitalists saying, well, why aren't we involved with you? And we'd say, well, you know, my, I said, I keep telling them the same thing. You're only offering me debt. And you hate women, which is not really true. They don't hate women. They want, <laughs> they want to figure out a way to make us successful, but they just they do not know how to support women-owned businesses. And I think we were talking about this at one point, but 98% of women-owned businesses never crack the million-dollar revenue ceiling. We did, and only 2% crack it. We did, and we still didn't get backed. So we were being offered a lot of debt financing, but nothing to do with equity. So I think we're not going to be able to scale tech for women or scale women-owned businesses. They don't only have to be tech until we have a billion-dollar equity fund and we have a sea change. We need, you know, I was talking to my daughter, who's, by the way, in biotech, and my son is in uh, game design. So, you know, great STEM kids. And Mm -hmm. um, they're both in their 20s now. And, And I said to my daughter, I said, I believe it's your generation and the one after it that's going to change the world in terms of what's happening. I will continue to fight hard for my, you know, my kids and my grandkids to change things by using my voice. But at the same time, I think we still have to have a sea change, which means like, you know, an ocean worth of, of change in terms of the uh, financings for women-owned ventures. So you talk about using your voice, Sue, and you do, but what's your advice for ambitious women, how to be bold and for others to use their voice? So the simplest advice I would say is don't be afraid. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, I learned early on. And I remember even after our first exit, people said to me, you know, what you're doing is is crazy. You left, uh, I was head of a lab in AI at the NRC, the National Research Council of Canada. So I was in government R&D labs, and I decided to do a spinoff from there. And so I left (laughs) a fairly good position and a prestigious position. And I was, you know, um, I think the president of NRC could see me eventually becoming a director general in there and so on. So they were very upset when I did my first spinoff out of NRC in AI. And they said to, so my friends and colleagues and other people said to me, well, you're crazy. You left this really safe job 
And then, and I honestly, I started it on my husband's salary and our family credit cards, no parachute. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not saying to women do that. <laughs> I'm not sure that's the best approach to go and start a company. But Although it is a common approach. The credit cards fund a lot of women startups true, for sure. true. You're right. You're right. And I actually, I have another close friend entrepreneur who's a female. She's in a different kind of business, but she explained to me that she would get a credit card, max it, get another one and so on. And, and that's how she built her own businesses. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in our case, if I hadn't taken that risk to do the first startup and had been too afraid to do it, then there would have been no reward of an exit for myself and my shareholders. And the same thing here in that, and it is a scary proposition. I'm not saying that everybody should jump out and be an entrepreneur, but if you compare Canada to other countries like Israel, for example, has 13% entrepreneurship in their country. We have about 1%. And we have a wonderful country. We have one of the most wonderful countries on the planet. And so I think there is opportunity for women to do more of what I've done if they can be more brave. And then we need to have some of the infrastructure there to support them as well. Mm -hmm. So what about people who don't like what you're doing? How do you handle criticism and what's your advice for others? So what I found that it does for me, Janice, quite frankly, is it makes me stronger. And so all those people and all the naysayers who first said, oh, what's AI? Why are you building an AI company? Who the heck is ever going to want to do anything with it? Excuse me, people. Here we are 20 years later and nobody can get enough AI. Right. right? And this is an area which I have. You were so ahead of your your peers, for sure. And then in this company, it was there's a lot of sexism in security. And I, I would do an injustice to my female colleagues in security by not addressing that. Security is a very interesting industry. It's one of those fields where life safety is super important. You make one wrong decision or you make one wrong decision in terms of buying a product, it costs somebody's life. So from that perspective, it's a very risk-averse industry. And it, it is very much dominated by not the female gender, by, you know, the male gender. If you will. Men. And mm -hmm. so I'd have to say, like, it's been a bit of a wild ride that, you know, here I am going to trade shows. I'm a, I'm a mom. I have 20 something year old kids and people are asking me for dates. And it's ridiculous. And to me, it's like when you're with a peer, in a trade show, they should treat you as a peer and talk mm -hmm. to you about your technology and your mm -hmm. products and what you do. And, and there you have a PhD. Be any of this Sorry? You're knowledgeable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's true. I have some good stories there where, you know, I was really concerned about going to speak in public. I have to say in Japan about AI, this is with the first startup, uh, because everybody told me they're notoriously sexist, you're not going to have any respect, et cetera, et cetera. So I had my VP of business development, who's a guy, stand next to me while I was giving the speech on AI to this room full of people and the who's who of electronics and telecom in Japan. And as soon as I opened my mouth and started to talk about AI, I realized that they stopped looking at me as a female and started looking at me as an extremely competent person who actually has something interesting to say. So that's pretty cool when you can sort of transition the world away from being sexist or racist or any of that stuff to saying, oh, well, we should listen to this person. They actually have good ideas. I think that's very important for women. And so specifically, though, when you're getting criticized, what do you do or how do you handle it? 
So we've had some really, really uh, doozer ones, right? So we've had ones where competitors will go and lie to customers about our products. So they'll attack our products and say, these products are not legal, et cetera, which is absolute garbage. Mm -hmm. And so what we do is we tell the customers, this is absolute garbage, and we show them reasons why, and we put them in touch with other customers. Like we've had customers with, you know, border security now for like five years. And one of the best things I think I did about this startup was really, I thought, well, okay, I'm in the security industry. I'm only going to be taken seriously if I have security customers. And so we went after national police forces, border security, and so on. So that's been a really a good way to do it to the point that we today help save people's lives on a daily basis in places like Texas, where people have concealed carry, but they have our capability so that if they are in danger at all, they can surreptitiously sort of call for help and, and get people to their site wherever they may be. So it makes me very proud of myself and my team. We shouldn't underestimate you know, and, and the expression that it takes a village is so true. So it's not just about me. It's about me, my family, my team, my colleagues, et cetera, my mentors throughout my board, et cetera. So it takes a lot of people to do what you do. And what you do is when you get criticized and people are negative and they treat you badly, what you want to do is reduce your interaction with people that are negative and that are, I call them like they suck the energy out of you. They really do not help where you're trying to get to. You want to have more positive thinking going on and to just sort of know that you can get through the process, right? And if you have to fall back on the old children's book, the I know I can, I think I can. I, I think, think I, I have can. a copy yeah. of that the in my office, that right? Could. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the little engine that could, right? Yeah. And so, you know, when you're negotiating, whether it's with a customer or an acquirer or somebody who wants to work with you, et cetera, you really want to have faith that you have the right idea. And that that's, I think, what was important for us is that, in the last company we did this and in this company we did it again where we've put stuff out there that nobody has thought about. And because the bigger players in telecom didn't think about it, people were saying, well, how is this possible? Like, how did they come up with this idea? And part of it is you listen to your customers, you listen to people that have the need and the problem, and then you can help them solve their problems. Don't ever pretend, and I learned this, I have to say, also from the first startup, and I brought it into the second one, you don't want to be a solution looking for a problem. You want to help listen to them. You want to listen to them, listen to their problems, and try and help them solve it. That's the important thing to learn. Listen, listen, listen. I love that. Don't be the solution. Exactly. <laughs> Looking, but flip it and actually listen. Very practical advice. Let's talk about having a name that people sometimes don't know how to pronounce or <laughs> what, what has that meant for you? You know, one of the interesting things that recently I recognized is not only have I faced sexism as a a founder, CEO, or as a CEO and an entrepreneur, but I've also faced racism. And what's interesting is you look at me and you think, oh, well, she doesn't look like anything unusual because usually people are racist when, you know, you, and, and I don't condone this, by the way, at all. And I have to say that when I came to Canada as a kid, I did not know the difference between color. To me, everybody was the same color, and that's really how I was brought up. So it was kind of shocking later on to see the differentiation. But anyways, um, when they see the name Abu Hakima, they freak out. 
and it's really interesting to me in that they look at you. And I mean, it's, it is partly sad that I, I've been using Sue as a way to mm-hmm. sort of level field so that I'm not judged as much. And well, plus the fact that people can't pronounce Sohaya super well. So that's really one of the main reasons that I say, just call me Sue, right? Um, mm-hmm. But the Abu Hakima part is crazy because essentially people shouldn't be biased against my last name. There's been great scientists and, you know, engineers and astronomers and, and inventors, etc., from kingdom come that have had an Arabic name. And so don't be biased against somebody just because of their name. That makes no sense or their skin colors. It makes no sense. Let's talk about five siblings and <laughs> both of your parents, professors at McGill, Am I wrong to think you couldn't get away with much in that environment? Tell us more. That's right. I was actually the youngest of six children. And my mom had five girls and one boy. And the boy was in the middle. And him and I are the ones that ended up in engineering. So go figure. Um, (laughs) But yeah, like for me, the mantra came early from my mom that education is really, and they know about this because they grew up in the Middle East and we immigrated to Montreal from the Middle East. And my parents immigrated, um, they had a choice between the US and Canada. And thank God they chose Canada because they thought, well, our kids could be well-educated here. And they wanted to be profs at McGill. They were solicited for that. And my father was a historian, God rest his soul. And my mother was an archaeologist. So, you know, this is a woman that used to go into the desert and dig up things, right? Can you imagine? Fascinating though environment you grew up in. I mean, these are big (laughs) thinkers doing cool stuff. Absolutely. And traveled the world, right? I didn't have an appreciation for all the archaeological sites that we went to as kids, right? Because as a seven or eight, nine-year-old, you just look at the Parthenon and you say, well, what is that? This is just rocks, right? Can we go somewhere to have Just go along with it. (laughs) (laughs) But now it's like I'm kicking myself for not appreciating that stuff more. But definitely for them, education was important. And this is something that I've preached to my own kids and to any of the kids. I've been giving speeches to young kids in elementary school and high school and at university. I've done plenary sessions and invited lectures and things like that. And it's really important to get kids to understand that their education is important. And what we do even at Amica Mobile, what we've done is that as kids are going through university, when we find ones that are really good in computer science or something like that, or can be helpful in software or what have you, we'll hire them part-time. We'll do like an Amica scholarship, if you will. So we'll fund their education because that's what happened to me. And then they end up working for, and they work for us full-time in the summers, and then they end up working for us full-time and they love it here and they're super loyal. So strategy for talent it's talent it's also giving back right because i was supported through both my master's and phd in ai while i was working so that was another thing that's kind of a crazy but that's another one that i think we've followed up in and and we've done the same thing in terms of playing it forward so i think that was really good but yeah i didn't get away with much as a kid i tell you a lot of discipline (laughs) well you turned out just Fine, Sue. Exactly, exactly. All right. What's something you've done once and wouldn't want to do again? That's a really puzzling question. I I thought about that. I've had to travel to some really rough cities, Mm -hmm. but this is where it's great that I have the panic and I'm okay buttons on my phone from our products because then I press the I'm okay as soon as I get to my hotel room. So so it's probably that. And it it really is uh, this whole I'm okay is pretty powerful, especially for us women. And but of course, it's valid for people. Exactly. Not only women. 
And even if you're in an emergency situation, like let's say you're you're at the airport and all of a sudden, uh, heavens forbid, there's a terrorist attack or an active shooter or something like that, at least if you press that I'm okay, then that message goes with your exact location to security teams and they'll know where you are, they'll call the police and it works anywhere in the world and stuff like that. So, you know, that kind of stuff, I think it's been really fantastic with my team to work on this saving lives with respect to the stuff that we've been doing here. And I'm excited to continue this with Genesis as well. I think it'll be exciting. It's so interesting that, I mean, you're just such an innovator and here you are using it in a way that is so relevant to the world we live in today. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what's the best advice you've ever received? So, you know, it's really good question. So I've, I've had advice since I was little, probably from my parents. And you can imagine having the kind of parents that I did. Mm-hmm. They're definitely my mentors and my heroes. And both of them had their PhDs from London University. So they were trailblazers before others. So I had a lot of respect for them growing up. And, you know, it was a time when your parents said to you, well, you should steer away from arts. You should all become doctors, which we didn't, by the way, medical doctors. That's a dream for every Egyptian mom, I think. Um, <laughs> but we all ended up in, you know, various aspects of science and stuff like that. But I think the best advice that I got from my my mom, which you're going to, the Arabic listeners will understand, and in English, it translates to, if you aren't the wolf, the wolves are going to eat you. So, you know, can you imagine hearing that since you're little? And what it means is <laughs> Sounds that... Sounds like a Grimm's fairy tale. It means like you have to fight. It means yeah. you have to fight. You have to persevere. And you have to get through things because there are other people in the world. And even since I was little that are not nice, that will not be good to you. And that may hurt you or whatever. And so you just have to fight. So I've been a fighter since then, I would say. And then the other thing I think that I don't know if you've asked me about what makes me brave or not, but one of the things that makes me I very do want to know that. <laughs> do you want to know that? <laughs> I do want to know that. Okay. So what makes me brave is when I was young and we were in the Middle East, there was a civil war that broke out. And as things turned out, my parents immigrated about a year or so after that. And I said to people, when you're hiding underneath the bed, as a nine-year-old, and there are bombs that are being dropped. In terms of civil wars, it's nothing like what we see on TV with respect to Syria and so on. However, there was a bit of a civil war. And so when you grow up, when you have that happen when you're that young, nine or 10, and then you come out and you come to Canada, which is like a paradise. It is definitely the land of milk and honey, in my opinion. And even during COVID, What I was telling people is that, yes, this is awful, but it's not a civil war. And what we need to do is just adjust and we'll get through this. It'll be okay. There are no bombs flying over our heads and things like that. So when you've been through something, I think, as traumatizing as that as a kid, then you grow up to be very brave. And I think that's why I'm brave. I think that's part of the reason that I'm brave. And, and, you know, I've always found that if you work hard and persevere, you get through stuff. So... That would be my answer there. That's uh, incredibly inspiring and and a great reminder of um, <laughs> how inspiring you are. It's hey. incredible. Incredible. Uh, what's your advice for young listeners uh, or younger, I should say, who want to work in an innovative company like yours? Like, what what do you want to tell people 
and others who want to make a change. Like here you are, you've pivoted, you're onto your second and, you know, it's going to be different going forward. You know, you're very comfortable with change. So either around talent and change, what do you want people to know? I think it's important um, for young, let's, let's talk to the young listeners first and then I'll talk to the entrepreneurs. So I think for the young listeners, I honestly think there's no better decision you could make in your life than making sure you finish your education. You finish your high school, you get to university, you get educated. And I honestly would plead with them that they should consider STEM. Because science, technology, engineering, and mathematics are really where the future is at with respect to jobs and where they want to get to. Like if you look at the unemployment that occurred during COVID, a lot of the jobs in retail disappeared very quickly. Now, the knowledge jobs, a lot of them survived. And and I think that is a very important thing as people make decisions in terms of their futures. Find something that uh, you do enjoy, but you also want to be practical in your thinking in terms of continuing your education. So that would be one. And to me, education is freedom. And this is really what young listeners have to remember is that get through school, um, and then you will have freedom. Then you will be able to sort of break a path and go forward and break ground in terms of where you want to go in your future. To the entrepreneurs that are listening, both men and women, I would say you really have to persevere. And I've actually given a speech like this. And I think I maybe even did this as a TEDx talk. I, I can't remember if that was the we title. We were together. Remember that? Yeah. So <laughs> that year, that's that right. Was so that fun. TEDx. So in the TEDx, even though it's dated now, because that's five years ago, yeah. um, you're, either, like, you're either the heretic or the hero of innovation as the entrepreneur. And what you want to do is believe in what you're doing. People will laugh at you. Look, people laughed at me about AI back in 1999. Again, they laughed again in 2008 when I said I want to do emergency communications. And I honestly didn't think the world would be in as much of a dire strait as it is today with respect to the need for emergency communication. I didn't think that that was going to be a market that's just getting stronger and stronger. It's like up in, you know, you're talking about the $120 billion and $200 billion size in terms of those markets and, you know, emergency management, disaster recovery, et cetera. So, so I think what you want to do as an entrepreneur is persevere, believe in what you come up with. You know, there are some things you want to do to make sure that you have a, a, a well-sized market, you have a good team around, you've got people that are supportive, but you can't just rely on you know, getting funding, venture capitalists and so on. One of the best reasons that we've succeeded is that, you know, I think the government of Canada has done a tremendous job with some of their programs. Like they have a program called Built in Canada Innovations Program, which is now Innovative Solutions Canada. And what that allows you as a tech entrepreneur, male or female, is to make your first sale into government. And what that'll do is that a government department, as long as you come up with something useful, will test it. And if it's good, then they will probably continue with it. And then that gave us our first sale with respect to Amica Mobile in terms of the government of Canada, which then we parlayed into the United States uh, federal government. So from that perspective, we do have some really, really amazing programs. And also the, in, in Canada, of course, we've got shreds, the R&D tax credits for tech entrepreneurs. So that's another thing that can help you fund your business. So there are programs that can help you 
leverage any pennies that you get into your business into more pennies so that you can actually have a bigger impact with respect to your results as an entrepreneur. So definitely uh, look at them. I think there's a lot of good stuff there. And, and, you know, there's people that are really super helpful, like the people at Global Affairs, the people at Export Development Corporation. The, all these people want to help the entrepreneurs take their ideas to market and grow it. And, you know, they've been tremendous for us in the last few years, even though like we've only really grown in. Uh, so we have Canada, the United States, and we we're just opening up the UAE and the UK. And now we're exiting. So <laughs> we didn't get to experience all the world markets. But anyways, this is good stuff. So the thing that's so practical about what you've shared that is relevant to anybody, whether you're an entrepreneur or not, is really about getting informed. So whatever those opportunities are, if they happen to be grants or whatever, exactly. know, get, get informed. That's the first thing. And then secondly, you know, create that network of support. And then Absolutely. within that network of support, you have to ask for the help you need too. Yes. Yes, I think that's really important. And I think very much as entrepreneurs, we want to go at it alone. And sometimes you have to ask for help. And it's really interesting when you realize, and I only realized it, Janice, after the report that you and Claire put out that talked about 80% of, of uh, women don't get funded, I think it's, it was the number that I saw or something like that. And I'd always wondered you know, am I not getting funded because I'm brown or I have an Abu Hakima name or I'm a, you know, what is it about me? I always thought, well, it's got to be because I'm Middle Eastern and so on. And then I find out it's because I'm a woman. And that like just sent me through the roof. And as you know, I, I sort of, uh, then after that, we became active, right? We became much more active. Mm-hmm. So whenever we see boards of directors that don't have enough women on them, we now send in emails to get that changed. Uh, there's a number of women executives now that are banding together. Some of them were part of the WXN and some of them are just part of the Ottawa community. And so mm-hmm. we're impacting and we're making change. And even, you know, writing to the mayor when the CEO uh, competition didn't in- include or Invest Ottawa didn't include uh, women on the committee and things like that. So we're getting really active. And I think there's a lot of men out there and people out there that do want to support women and they're shocked uh, by the treatment of women so far. And I think they would like to see change. So I, I, I mean, the good news is that we just have to raise our voice and say, hey, we have to change things and let's, let's get going. And I think not to lose hope on that. And, and, you know, from the point of view of even when people slam doors in your face, there are other doors that are open. There are experts out there that know a lot more. There's entire companies now dedicated, by the way, Janice, I'm sure you know this, to figuring out what grants would support your business, whether you're in tech or biotech or in retail or whatever it is. And so these, these things exist now. So it's important for people to go and try and leverage them as best they can. The other one is the angel groups, right? So there's mm-hmm. angel groups groups that give you alternatives to funding than venture capitalists. So that's another good thing. Again, it's about having a strong network and using it, exactly. which I know you're amazing at. And on top of it, you use your voice for change and for good. And we're so grateful. Final question, doctor, what is your dream for Canada? I would like to see equality in our country and no racism. And when I say that, I mean, I don't want implicit racism. I don't want hidden racism. I want everybody to be treated the same way. That is what my dream is for this country. And I know it's still going to take us time 
because, you know, it's almost 100 years since my mom has been born and we're still talking about this stuff, but we have engendered some change. And so we're not equal in terms of men and women at this point. However, we have made progress. So I would like everybody to be as hopeful as I am and continue working hard at it to get us out of the mire of our sexism and racism because I think as Canada, we are a shining light for the rest of the world. And I think we can do it in this country. We just have to keep working at it. It's an absolutely beautiful dream for Canada. And uh, no surprise that that beautiful dream is coming from this remarkable woman. You've been listening to Dr. Sahaya Abu Hakima. She's a Canadian tech entrepreneur, inventor, mentor, professor, and strong advocate for women in tech. And wow such an inspiration. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today, doctor. Thank you for coming on this show. Thanks, Janice. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you and continue the good fight. You do so much. I'm in awe back at you. Mm, love ya. Love you too. Thanks for listening. We want our community to grow. Tell your friends, follow us on Instagram, and sign up for our newsletter at fearlesswomenpodcast.com to get the early scoop. Thanks again to our amazing sponsors, BDC, Lockheed Martin, and Export Development Canada. Subscribe in Apple Podcasts or in your favorite app. And if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating. I'm Janice McDonald. Stay fearless. Thank you to Export Development Canada, the international risk experts, for your support of the Fearless Women podcast. Supporting Canadian companies of all sizes succeed on the world stage. EDC takes your worries away and helps you grow your business with confidence. When your business has no borders, neither does your potential. Find out more at edc.ca slash women in trade. Thank you to BDC, the bank devoted exclusively to entrepreneurs, for your support of the Fearless Women podcast. We love smart companies that want to amplify women's voices. For more information, go to bdc.ca women.